Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Galliber. I got to start with it. I got to start with it. And I'm not even one of these guys that gets hung up on this type of stuff and accolades and feeling personally offended because your favorite player didn't win some stupid award. But this really grinded my gears. It's all-star voting. And I understand that this is just the fans, and the fans a lot of times are doofuses, and you don't really can't really take it seriously. But I think sometimes the fans are an extension of media narratives, just in general. What fans tend to think is what's being fed to them. Because most of the fans, most of the fans today don't watch the games. They watch highlights of the games. They don't watch the games themselves. And when they do, they'll watch the nationally televised games. And you know, if you follow the Knicks, that that's a disaster. If you want to actually get a sense for what this team is and what they do, you don't want to watch nationally televised games because there's a bunch of chokers on this team when it comes to nationally televised games. Right? And they choke in a way where they want to prove something. So they you know, step out of their skins just a little bit and it leads to disaster. A lot of times, when you look at this fan voting right now, this is about a week old, this story. So maybe it's different. They don't release the results all the time. Look at the front court. Top 10. Kevin Durant, Giannis, Embiid, Tatum, no argument. Fifth in the voting is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler who takes off every other game, whose team was deep in the standings in the Eastern Conference up until maybe two weeks ago. He's fifth in fan voting. I understand that some guys kind of get grandfathered in. They're perennial all-stars, so you got to put them in there. And I understand his stats are pretty decent. Two steals a game, six assists, six rebounds. Gets to the line seven, eight times a game. Shoots 82%. No, I get it. I get it. He has played 27 games. So when I said every other game sits out, I wasn't really lying. They've played about 40 games this year. Not going to look it up. Everybody's right around 40 games. He played 27. He is on pace to not qualify for certain season-long awards because he's on pace to to play 52 games. And he's fifth. But hey, that's not the biggest beef. Just got to make a point there. That's not the biggest beef. Pascal Siakam having a good season. He is. Toronto Raptors struggling in the standings, though. Six. Kyle Kuzma. A player who I like, but if you look at his numbers, 47% from the field, which is good. About 33% from three. Nothing tremendous, but that's pretty much where Julius Randle was when we were tearing him apart. And this guy is seventh in the voting? Seventh. Boncato, Paolo, having a great rookie year. He's on a terrible team, but he's having a great rookie year. 
You understand the politics behind a, a brand new rookie having a great season. You get it. I'm going to leave number nine for last. But Jared Allen, he's averaging, I think, a double-double. He's a big-time force in the middle of the paint. I get it. Over Julius Randle? A center, a conventional center, who basically makes baby hooks and dunks, is ahead in the voting Ahead of Julius Randle, who's averaging 24 points per game and 10 rebounds on 47% shooting and 35% from three. That's what we're doing? Nick Claxton. I can debate you whether or not Nick Claxton deserves an all-star berth over Mitchell Robinson. No less... Julius Randle? Are you for real? Are you for real? And again, we understand this is fan voting stuff. I get it. But why is Nick Claxton getting more fan votes than Julius Randle? And people automatically think it's the Nick fans aren't voting. Well, of course, that's part of it. But Brooklyn fans are voting? Brooklyn can't even fill their arena half the time. They're voting All-Stars? What? What are you saying to me? The Washington Wizard fans are voting for Kyle Kuzma? Is that what we're talking about? Is that what you're trying to tell me? That there's not enough Nick fans, a, a fan base that fills the arena, at least in ticket sales, every single night? With ratings through the roof relative to the rest of the league? And they can't get more votes than Nick Claxton? No. You know what that is? Those are national voters who are voting players on every team. That's what that is. And they're ignoring the Knicks. Because the national narrative on the Knicks is so sour. That's what that is. Can Nick fans stuff the ballot box? Absolutely. Should they? Do they need to? Absolutely. Do they bear some of this blame? Absolutely. But these are national, actually international votes. And there are people who are going down each team voting for an All-Star. They're not seeking out Nick Claxton. You know what? I really think Nick Claxton should be an All-Star this year. Nobody's doing that unless you're in Brooklyn. Who's doing that? Ten people? And he's having a good season, no shade, but so is Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson's defensive impact is is far greater than what Nick Claxton is doing. People think that that the Nets don't have a big man, really. (laughs) And they have Nick Claxton. Ah, listen, I guess maybe it's an overstatement to say it's far greater than Nick Claxton. He's, He's averaging more blocks. I get it. But being a defensive factor in the paint as a center is not just about blocks. It's about presence. And I bet you if you get deep into the analytics defensively, Mitchell Robinson is far greater, a far greater defensive presence than Nick Claxton is, which is why one of the quote unquote criticisms of the Knicks, of the, I'm sorry, of the Nets is that they're not big enough. Now we ran, I don't think we ran through it. I think I tweeted it 
and this was a couple of weeks ago, so we'll have to see where it stands now. You know, Mitchell Robinson is top three in the league in defensive rebounding percentage. He's elite. He's an elite company defensively as a center. But you know what? This is not even about Mitchell. That's just to make a point. This is about Julius. There's only one team in the standings that should not be ahead of the Knicks, talent-wise. And that's Indiana Pacers. And I stay giving them credit because they deserve it. They should not be outpacing the Knicks. I think they're one game ahead in the win column right now. But they're not, I don't think, top to bottom, they're as good a team as the Knicks are. But they're playing better, and that's just management. That's just smart play. That's a credit to Halliburton, Carlisle. Everybody else is a more talented team than the Knicks. There, there are teams that are more talented than them below them in the standings. And Julius Randle is leading that way. If you at worst, you want to say a co-leader with Brunson. And we ran through the stats in the last show, and he can't even beat Nick Claxton and Jared Allen. I understand Jared Allen's on a great team, but there are two players on that team that are being rewarded for them being a great team. And that's Garland and Mitchell. And you got a team that is right now, I believe they're the seventh seed. And no, no all-star representation. Nobody thought that, that was, it was a good idea to vote for Julius Randle. That's narrative. That's it. That's a sour narrative on the team and on the player. Without any question, I didn't even get to what's going on at the guard position. Kyrie Irving is actually leading in votes. Now, with all the controversy with Kyrie Irving, could you imagine a scenario where he's leading the all-star votes? I remember earlier in the year, people were saying that Kyrie would not even make the all-star team because of the controversy. He's leading in votes. That That is on purpose. That is that there are people who are voting for Kyrie to make a point, and that's kind of shameful. Be honest with you. Donovan is second. Harden, Jalen Brown. Trey Young is fifth. Trey Young and his 41% from the field and his 31% from three. He is fifth. And his team that's disappointing in the standings yet again for the third consecutive year. In the first and in, in three years ago, when he was the fifth seed, they made a push at the end of the year to be the fifth seed. Give them credit, but they were disappointed for most of the year. And then last year, they ended up in the play-in, had to make a push to get to the play-in, and here they are in the play-in again with a losing record. And he's fifth in voting. That's highlight culture. DeMar DeRozan, Chicago turned it around probably before these votes were released. I mean, sorry, after these votes were released. Before that, they're talking about breaking up Chicago because that's such a disappointment. And he's, he's sixth, sixth in voting? LaMelo, LaMelo Ball has missed the entire season. He's been back for like, what, three weeks? Tyrese Halliburton, deserve. I'm not getting into that. I'm not Wally Zerbiak and getting get not. I will say this. When Wally made those comments, I am pretty sure the Knicks were ahead of them in the standings. I'm pretty sure. It was right before the Knicks lost those five games in a row. And the Pacers got back in front of them. The Pacers were in front of them earlier in the year. And the Pacers dropped off a little bit, I believe. I mean, don't get me in the line. Either way, while he was out of out of pocket for saying what he said, the Knicks are going to have to pay that bill. 
when Tyrese comes to the garden, I already know. But Tyrese went on a tear right after that. Deserved. Derrick Rose. Now, somebody might say, well, you're saying it's a, it's a Nick Shade narrative as to why more Knicks aren't in the top 10 in voting. But then they voted for Derrick Rose. The people who voted for Derrick Rose are not Nick fans. Let's just be very clear. Those are Chicago Bull fans, Derrick Rose fans, and anywhere you want to, Chicago, just people in Chicago. They're not Nick fans that voted for Derrick Rose. There aren't Nick fans that voted for Derrick Rose more than they voted for Jalen Brunson. That person does not exist. There's not a Nick fan in this universe that looked at these all-star votes and voted for Derrick Rose over Jalen Brunson. So that has nothing to do with the Knicks. That has everything to do with Derrick Rose. Kudos to Derrick Rose for having such a great fan base, but it is ridiculous. And Darius Garland is 10th. And if I wanted to sit here and and call people out for Darius Garland being where he is, I would if this was a cab show, but it's not. It's a shame that he's behind Derrick Rose in the voting. He didn't miss a chunk of games, but clearly nobody cares because LaMelo Ball is fifth on the list. So nobody cares about that. Not fifth. He's what seventh. I'm not going to sit here railing and defending for Darius Garland. He's fine. He'll be okay. This is shameful. Now, you can make an argument that everybody on that list deserves to be on the team, except for Derrick Rose. But nobody deserves to be on that team. I shouldn't say nobody, but DeRozan, LaMelo Ball, Rose, Trey Young, they don't deserve to be on the team over Julius Randle. I understand that's a different position, but you get what I'm saying. They got They all got more votes than it. And on the relevant side, Nick Claxton, Jared Allen, Kyle Kuzma, to a lesser extent, Jimmy Butler, none of them deserve to be on the team over Julius Randle. None of them. Didn't even mention Brunson because you can make you can make a case because it's such a crowded position, the point guard position. The forward position is crowded too, but Julius Randle is so much better than most of the forwards in the Eastern Conference right now that that's not as relevant to him as it is Jalen Brunson. Because there are a lot of great point guards, and we named them because Darius Garland probably deserves to be there over him. Tyrese, at this point, deserves to be there over him. You know, Donovan, Kyrie, I mean, obviously point guards. Trey Young has gaudy numbers. It's, it would be a controversial kind of thing where you have to really explain and dig into the nuance as to why Trey Young should not be on the team over Jalen Brunson. That, that's a hard argument to make. So it's it's just a tougher road. DeMar DeRozan, one of those legacy guys, just a tougher road. But he is sixth in the standings right now. And winning teams, players from winning teams that are having great seasons are typically rewarded at all-star time. And we all know when the coaches get involved with this, everything might look a little bit different. If Julius doesn't make it from the coaches, that's real shade. But this is just, to me, an example of how egregious the coverage of the Knicks could be. And you're starting to see some people in the media, some players in the media, start to see that because they, you know, they weren't Nick fans and they weren't always in the media. They're not old media and they're ex-players and they're talking sports every day. 
and you're starting to see how differently people talk about the Knicks and where they are as a team than other teams that are in worse positions as a franchise are in disarray, etc. And the players who are on those teams and how they're disappointing, they, they're talked about differently. They're talked about like, oh, they're having a down, a down period. You know, they need, to, they need to do this to get better. And the Knicks can literally be good and they're just downplayed all the time. It's not like back in the day where the old media, they like to build up to tear down. But if the Knicks were just a little bit good, it was like a big deal 25 years ago. Now, it's a big deal in New York, but then everywhere else, it's making fun of the team. Unless it's prolonged and sustained, it's at the end of the year, it's playoff time, then they start to build up to tear down. They did that when the Knicks played the Hawks that year. I can't tell you how many times they talked about the Knicks being a higher-seeded team. They, they, it was like a virtual tie between them and the Hawks, and the Hawks were a more talented team by far. You didn't need to know that. The, you didn't need to watch that series and know the Hawks were the more talented team. You had to know that going in. You built it up like the Knicks should have beat them because they had home court advantage, and that was comical. So when the Knicks lost to them, it was like it was a disaster, but it wasn't. As much as you're seeing so many different voices rail against and disagree with national narratives and national media talking heads. You've seen a lot of that on Twitter nowadays, and that didn't exist even 10 years ago to the same degree. You still see an influence of the national media on casual fans who don't necessarily watch the team. They don't watch the teams. So, and I think I brought this example up a few shows ago. I had an acquaintance basically dismissively asked, like, what are the Knicks even doing? The Knicks were floating around 500, and I think they might have been on their, their first losing streak. So what, are they, what is even their plan? And I answered them very, you know, calmly. I said, I think the Knicks are just sitting and waiting for an all-star to become available and you try to swing for a superstar. And they said, to what end? For what? And I was so weirded out by that question and it annoyed me on a deep, visceral level. What do you mean to what end? Why are you you saying it doesn't matter if the Knicks get a superstar? And their rationale was obviously, oh, well, what about the rest of the roster? And then what are they going to do? And... It's still not going to be good. Like, okay, you understand that the Knicks not getting Donovan made them a laughing stock, apparently. And here you are saying, well, even if they got Donovan, to what end? What's what's next? What do you? Their position was that they didn't believe Donovan was going to make them that much better anyway. Something that I agree with. Okay, so you're not in that crowd. I get it. But you do understand that the reason why the Knicks aren't or can't be a serious contender or build one is because they don't have a superstar. You understand that, right? You you have to have a superstar. You have to have a foundational talent on your team if you're going to be taken seriously and, and try to win a championship. I know that they understand that, so please under, help me understand why you don't think the Knicks should get one. Like, what point? What's the point? Huh? 
And it reminded me of a debate I had about Jalen Brunson over the summer and the Knicks signing him. Like they didn't think that Jalen Brunson was going to make the Knicks much better. Okay, but you get good players when you can get them. That Jalen and somebody's oh, but what about Donovan Mitchell? Because it was going to cost everything, and it would have left them without assets to get more talent and without cap space to sign more talent. It would have put them in such a tough spot that the lineup that they would have post Donovan Mitchell trade better be that championship lineup because you didn't have any room to do anything else. That's not the same as Jalen Brunson. You were signing him out of thin air. The guys you traded to get Jalen Brunson didn't make you know, never mind. Yeah. So you don't, you don't get a young player in his prime or entering his prime at what amounts to right now, if you're looking at it, a bargain amount of money because He's not enough to push you over the top. No, he's not enough to push you over the top. But he's a foundational piece, not in a superstar level. But you knew what you were getting in Brunson. They knew what they were getting in Brunson. They were getting a leader. You were getting a gutsy point guard. It, he is literally the best point guard the Knicks have had in in 30 years. Maybe, maybe 40 years, 50 years. Mark Jackson was only here for, and Mark Jackson was one of my favorite players. He's not better than Jalen Brunson. Rod Strickland and Mark Jackson were only here for a short time. Doc Rivers and Derek Harper were not Jalen Brunson. Chris Childs, Charlie Ward, Howard Isley. You'd have to get down to Stephon Marbury. Who, for intangible reasons, was not Jalen Brunson. You had Jason Kidd when he was 52 years old for a year. This is... This is ridiculous. Don't bring him in because he's not going to put you over the top. The spacing with Mitchell Robinson. No. Mitchell Rob- If Mitchell Robinson was going to be a bother to Jalen Brunson's efficiency, then you get rid of Mitchell Robinson. You don't just pass on a guy like Jalen Brunson and what he can do. You see the way other coaches are talking about him. He is a monster, Greg Popovich said. You don't bring him in because of the current roster? The current roster could change. The current roster wasn't good enough. These contracts are often three, four years long. Julius Randle's in the second year of his contract. Mitchell Robinson is on a declining scale. He's making less money every year. And the way he's playing, he's worth that money right now. And I had questions about that coming into the season. But whatever the case may be, you don't pass on Jalen Brunson because you don't think he's going to be the, the piece that gets you over the top. $26 million a year, that's too much money. You got guys making $50 million a year. Are you out of your mind? It was a silly narrative. The Knicks aren't supposed to be good. There's like like a disease, a virus that people have. The Knicks are not allowed to be good. I told you about Windhorse making a comment about the Knicks having three $100 million players. Guys making $250 million now. $100 million contract is not what you think it is. Jalen Brunson is making $26 million a year. Eric Fournier, Evan Fournier, he's making $18 million, $17 million a year. Duncan Robinson is making $85, he's on an $85 million contract, and nobody can do anything with him. They don't want him. You worried about, and that averages out to about $18 million a year for the length of his contract. And you worried about Jalen Brunson's $26 million? The way he's playing? What he could do for a franchise that hasn't had a point guard? You don't sign him with all of the ties he had to the franchise? Why would you not sign him? What would be your reason? Because it's not going to drive him over. It's not going to push him over the top. Neither, neither was Donovan Mitchell, but you guys were desperate to do that. 
It cost you everything. This was a shrewd move from the Knicks from jump. It's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. It's, everyone has this bad taste in their mouth when it comes to Knicks. So they don't even they don't even critique them or analyze them with any kind of objective objectivity or any kind of perspective. People are watching the other teams in the league. Houston being an example of it. Houston being the worst team in the league right now. Everyone talks about the core of young, great talent they have on that team. They can't win a game. Some of the so-called superstars and foundational talents on other teams aren't producing the results that superstars are supposed to produce. And Perkins, of all people, Hendrick Perkins made that comment. Maybe they don't have the superstars everyone else has, but Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, and Coke, they're doing all right. They're doing all right. And that conversation might need to be had closer to the end of the season if they maintain that. About, mm, maybe they do have superstars. That's too early, though. Because Randall could fall off a cliff. And Jalen Brunson, I just don't think he is quite there yet. But some of, some of you guys, some of your superstars on these other teams, they're not producing. You excited about them. You excited about the talent and the things that they look like they can do, but they're not winning night in, night out. And some of these guys got paid already. They're not young, young players like on Houston. Some of these guys got paid already. And they're not producing. Not producing. And again, the Knicks can win, can lose five games in a row again and fall. I mean, things can I am perfectly aware of where the Knicks are as a talent base and as a franchise. And how and how fragile it is. We've seen that already this year. But there's just this prevailing notion that the Knicks are a worse off franchise than they actually are. You have to look at where they are right now, not where they've been. It's not relevant. It's where are they right now? They have a zillion assets. You can get into the weeds of how valuable the assets are, but it's, it's better to have a low-value first-round draft pick than not have it. So spare me the nonsense. Most of the teams around the league don't have it. I'd rather be in a situation where I got a player averaging 24 points per game on 47% shooting, 35% from three, 10 rebounds, Making about $24 million a year. I'd rather have that than some of these other guys around the league. Well, that's disingenuous to say he's making $24, he's making $24 million this year. And then it starts to go up. 25, 26, 27, and you get to 29. And now you're talking about big money. All right. So I get it from that standpoint. But from the Knicks standpoint... That's incredible value right now. There's guys who are not doing that and making more money than that. And not affecting winning. And listen, we all know the nuance when it comes to Randall and how this can all fall apart in, in a week. We know that. So I'm not going to go overboard with it. But stop acting like the Knicks are in this terrible situation. They're not. They're not. They're actually in... a and they haven't been perfect in their move-making, don't get me wrong. But they're in almost a perfect situation where they have draft picks, they're competitive, 
and they have some flexibility to bring in a player. And I'm just going to throw names out there. Not that I want this player here, by the way. But players like Levine and SGA, who I do want, players who might pop up on the radar as being available, they could get those guys if they were available. Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, again, I'm not starting any rumors that these things are possible, and I'm not saying I want Trey Young. But you name the guy who comes on the market, the Knicks are in a position right now to get that player. And they're, and they're in that position while also being competitive. Now, if the bill is what the bill was for Donovan, then that player better, that player better be Donovan and then some. Because I don't believe that the Knicks get wipe out Quentin Grimes and they wipe out quickly and McBride and, and Jericho Sims and less so with Jericho. To be honest, I don't think if they wipe out their entire bench and bring in a superstar, they're going to be appreciably better. I don't. I don't. Now, in a scenario where you might get rid of Julius Randle and liquidate him and turn him into two, three other players. okay, maybe. But. If it's going to cost you too many players off that bench, I wouldn't do it. To be honest with you, you can have a bunch of these picks. You take some of these contract fillers, but these these players on the bench are one of the reasons why this team is competitive and one of the reasons why if you bring in the right guy, this team is going to make noise, especially with the way Julius Randle's playing right now. They're going to make noise. They have holes, but so does every team. That's a perfect position to be in, a position where you could trade for a guy where you're even in the conversation and you're also competitive at the same time. Now, some people would argue, oh, you're better off if you tank. And like, okay, man, there's a lot of teams that have been tanking for a lot of years, and they ain't, they ain't win yet. Now, you look at Houston. They've been tanking. They got Jabari Smith. They got they got Jalen Green. Where are they right now? They're still the worst team in the league. Like, How long are you going to play that game? Have we seen that? OKC is probably the best example of that. But when are they going to start winning? And nobody's saying Knicks are in a better position than OKC because because they're not. But OKC is also not competitive, and they haven't been for a couple years. So at some point, all of those years where you were terrible is going to have to pay off. It hasn't paid off yet. And I understand that Chet Holmgren is is hurt, but Chet Holmgren is also not a 30-points-per-game superstar. He's a guy who's more of a defensive guy, more of a matchup nightmare. And I'm not going to shade him. Don't get me wrong. And if they get Wembenyana, which it doesn't look like they will, but if they were to get Wembenyana, then yeah, that's a they're already an incredibly talented team. But at some point, you got to pay that off. But of course, you'd rather be OKC than the Knicks. But there aren't many other teams that can say that. You can say that about. Look at Toronto. Just a few years ago, Toronto was a team where everybody just yeah last year everybody was envious of where they were. Having OG Anunobi, they had Pascal Siakam, they drafted Scotty Barnes, he surprised everyone. They had Van Fleet. They, everybody was envious of the position they were in. Have some, a couple assets. But look at them, they're struggling in the standings, and now they might have to liquidate some of their team because of contract situations. They, 
listen, they have talent. It's great. They have. They don't have a. I guess they don't have a superstar. I guess you would say Siakam is the closest thing to it. And OG is such a special and unique player on both sides of the ball. And you have Van Vliet, who, who in theory is a superstar, even though he's incredibly inefficient. You know, you know what? You know what? I take that back. I will not stand for Van Fleet being uh, called a superstar and not Jalen Brunson. You just have the fact that he performed in the finals and has a couple of year, a couple more years on his belt playing at this level, but he was inefficient last year too. So, listen, why why is he better than Jalen Brunson? Because you say so. Because this, he's just getting, he takes more shots and he shoots it inefficiently. You can't just look at his numbers. But you go down the line, if you're not one of the top four or five teams in the Eastern Conference with a, champ- a chance to win the championship, how? why are you in a better position than the Knicks are? Why are the Knicks the ones getting made fun of? Why are they getting clowned? They're getting clowned because of things that, has ha- that have happened years ago. And, of course, the Donovan Mitchell trade, people fall on both sides of that. The people who are pro-Donovan Mitchell trade will clown that, that whole move. But a lot of the things the Knicks got clowned for, they, they're winning. They're winning at it. They're winning at it. They were clowned for Jalen Brunson. They're winning at that decision. And these narratives got to catch up because it is entertaining. And, is, and it has been for some time now. It's entertaining to shade the Knicks. It's clickbait to shade the Knicks. It's clickbait to come up with crazy Nick trade rumors. It's clickbait. And people make money and they get attention when they pick on the Knicks. Now, the Knicks have a lot of things where you can objectively criticize them over. But as an organization, how are you going to look at the Knicks and decide that they're not in a better position than 95% of the league? Because there's only a handful of teams that could win a championship. And there's more teams this year than it has been in the past, like this year and last year. But... There's only a handful of teams. Everybody else is just, they're either building or they're falling. And that window is only, to me, is only about three, four years long. And the Knicks have extended that window. They've extended that window with the Jalen Brunson, Brunson signing, with R.J. Barrett hopefully continuing to improve, Julius Randle moving back towards being a positive value asset, drafting well late in the draft. Obi was a miss. We talk about that. But Quentin Grimes, quickly, McBride. McBride, who's shooting 40% from three over the last five games. And I think that's another example of impatience because I saw some really smart Nick fans who analyze the game, do videos, talk about McBride's offense and saying that they have no faith in his offense, and that's why they don't think he's going to be a good player. Now, last five games, he's shooting 40% from three. And I told you this a few episodes ago. I personally believe that spot-up shooting in the G League is transferable to the NBA. And he was a good shooter in the G League. I had no reason to think that he could not eventually be a good shooter here in the NBA. Now, if he was doing other things, if he was shooting off the dribble, fading away and all that stuff, then which he does do in the G League, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's transferable. But to catch and shoot and hit an open shot, yeah. If you could do that in G League, you could do that in the NBA. And I thought 
And he just needed more opportunities here in the league, in the big leagues, to really get comfortable and knock that shot down. That's all I, I felt like that's all he needed was more minutes. And you're seeing that now. It was a very small sample size, but you're seeing that now. That's why you can't jump the gun on young players. He's barely played. He's barely gotten a chance to play. People just want to give him away in, in trades. And I understand depending on the trade, you got to throw some value in there. But that's... That means that the other team should value that player too. It can't just be a toss-in because you got to match contracts and nobody's respecting the value. And I saw that in some of the Utah Jazz packages that were rumored. It was players were being thrown into trade just to match contracts as opposed to being thrown into trade as a value add. Quentin Grimes is a value add. Quickly is a value add. You're seeing that now. Even McBride is a value add right now on the lower end and not in the same conversation as the rest of them, but he's a value add. You're seeing that there are rumors that Obi Toppin and the Pacers, there are trade rumors with Obi Toppin going to the Pacers. They're not trading him for a second round draft pick. You better not. There's a value there. And when you start throwing all those players in the trade and you're giving up five, six picks, seven picks, those players are not being valued in that trade. And I made this point over the summer. I said, and all, this is true for all teams, but it was there was context to this comment. The Knicks value their players more than other people value them. They see potential in their players, and you're starting to see that play out now, and you're seeing it play out with quickly, and more so you're seeing it play out with Grimes, whose effect on the floor has been impactful on both ends. He's guarding the toughest perimeter player, Regardless of size, he's knocking down threes. They're not even using half of his offensive potential. And he's efficient with his touches. Quickly is one of the best defensive players in the league, and he's still not making shots on a consistent basis. These players have more value than the rest of the league, or I should say had more value than the rest of the league, was acknowledging And you're starting to see it play out now, and you want to see it come to fruition. You want to see it maintained for the rest of the season. And, of course, that's that's why you watch the games. And the Knicks have one of the tougher schedules for the remainder of the season. This is going to be real interesting. I think this next stretch, though, is not too difficult, and it starts tonight against Milwaukee. And I don't think the Knicks can beat Milwaukee, personally. (laughs) That's, That's my stance. I don't think the Knicks can beat Milwaukee, the Nets, and Philadelphia. The Nets with KD in Philadelphia. I don't think they're capable. They don't have enough bodies, and Jericho Sims might change that a little bit. They don't have enough bodies to stand in the way of Giannis. Nobody stops Giannis, but you got to stand in his way without having to collapse your entire defense. And they don't have enough bodies to do that. Uh, with Philadelphia, they don't have enough big bodies to throw it at Embiid, and the Knicks don't double team very often or very well. And they, at least at least they have it, and that's one of Thibodeau's flaws in terms of defensive adjustments. Like he will let a guy just eat, but you can't let a guy eat in the paint, in my opinion, because he's going to get to the free throw line too. You know, and it's in the, the game the shots are too high percentage. That's why I don't think the Knicks the Knicks can't guard him. They can't guard Harden. And those guys play their best at their best when they play against the Knicks. So can't beat those. It can't beat those teams. And the Nets with KD, they they KD and Kyrie come at the Knicks next every time they play, get the best effort, 
and the Knicks don't always they don't always step up to uh, the plate. But so it would be unfortunate to see the Knicks lose tonight. It'd be nice to see if they won. But beyond that, the schedule in the next week or so is not too terrible. And the Knicks have a chance to maybe build some wins before they start running into a hot Laker team. And you go down the line, they start playing these teams that actually have been playing well. Right. So. And for the Pacers, for example, and the reason why I keep giving the Pacers credit, the Pacers have played a more difficult schedule up until now and have an easier schedule the remainder of the way. And they're not going to tank. Rumors are their ownership is not a, a tank. They're not, they're not high on tanking. So they're going to be playing out the rest of the season, and there's no reason to think they won't continue playing the way they are unless somebody gets injured. So they have a, a weaker schedule, and they're already uh, a little bit uh, ahead of the Knicks in the standings. I think the Knicks should be outpacing the Pacers. And I think it's uh, a credit to Carlisle and uh, a little bit of a hit on the Knicks, relatively speaking, that they can't outpace the Pacers. They're playing, they've played weaker teams, and they have not been able, been able to pull out the victories that the Pacers have been able to pull out with a less talented team and a younger team in a lot of ways. But the Pacers are about to be my arch nemesis in the standings. And Miami's creeping up on the Knicks too. Miami's as a better team. They have a top 10 all-time coach. They might start hunkering down. The Knicks have to clean up their end-of-the-game strategies and processes, and they start to need to start becoming a little bit more efficient in how they attack at the end of the game. They need more pet plays. They need more staple attacks that get them good shots every time instead of being so stagnant at the end of the game, just isolating from bad spots on the floor. You're seeing Julius, you always see Julius Randle catch the ball on different spots of the floor at the end of the game. That's not ideal. Most teams, they put, if they're going to give an ISO to their best player, quote unquote, best player or their closer is going to be in the same spot. It's going to be in their most efficient spot, not a random spot on the floor. So there's a lot of things the Knicks need to clean up that point to them maybe not being as consistent, but you're also seeing R.J. Barrett is not out on the floor. And R.J. Barrett comes back and he's decent, which he's probably not going to be. He's going to come back and he's going to be inefficient because that's what he does a lot of times when he comes back from these injuries and he hasn't played in a while. He just starts hoisting up shots, trying to find his shoots, shoots his way into a rhythm. The Knicks have played well without him. It's a discussion to be had whether or not R.J. Barrett should come off the bench and play with that second unit. But that's a discussion for another day. We're going to wrap this up. Make sure you run on over to sportsethos.com and follow at sportsethos. And there's a ton of Twitter follows from sportsethos for every team, wagering, daily fantasy, fantasy, year-long fantasy. There's a lot of Twitter profiles to follow depending on what it is that you're interested in. Check it out. Make sure you follow at ethosnicks. Until next time.